today we're going to continue our sermon series in 1 John. And so for the past few weeks, we've actually seen John really kind of take a nosedive right into love, about how God is love, about how he's pouring his love into his people. And while independently amazing and helpful and wonderful that's been, what we actually see is that John is setting himself up. He's setting the stage for today's passage in 1 John 5. And so his goal in today's passage is to reinforce the faith of the Christians who are going to read his letter. His letter. See, he's bringing everything together. All the things that he's been talking about up to this point, he is now going to tie in. And he's bringing forth evidence of why our faith should exist and how it can be bolstered. And as I was kind of thinking about this passage and thinking about these verses, I also started thinking about our current situation with COVID-19. And how there's so many people who are just uh, reacting in different ways. Like we, we all have different responses and our emotions are kind of all over the place. Um, you've got a lot of people who are reacting very strongly and a lot of people that are just kind of like, eh. And, and it's just, uh, it's difficult to kind of navigate these waters, uh, both individually, but then also just with everything happening, you know, across the world and in our nation. But I think the thing that we're seeing a lot is that we're just responding. We're always reacting to everything that's happening. And when you're always reacting, you, you don't feel like you're on solid ground. You, you feel like everything is just like a turbulent sea that you're caught up in the middle of. And I think that's one of the most difficult things about this whole COVID-19 response and how our lives have all been turned upside down because of it. And yet in this time of complete change and feeling like we have no control over anything. I think it's really awesome how the Holy Spirit has brought this passage to us in, in this time, this moment, because what we see here is a constant. John is presenting us something that we can be sure of. And so even though we're, we're in this time where you may feel like you're reacting to everything, you can take a moment today and be able to just rest in the fact that there is something that is sure and it is true and it continues on no matter what else is happening. And that is that the person and work of Jesus Christ is true as it is shown in scripture. And we can take confidence in that. And so praise God that no matter how you're doing, no matter how I'm doing, no matter how you know anyone is reacting to our current situations, we can rest in the sovereignty of God and the grace that he's pouring upon us. And so today we're in 1 John 5, verses 6 through 13. I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to pray for our time. And then we're going to go ahead and just dive right in. And so starting in verse 6, John says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your holy word and to be able to take comfort in it. To be able to look at it and to be able to know that you are moving in a great and dramatic way and yet it is also you who has not changed. You've never changed because you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we can take a moment, take that deep breath and just be able to submit everything in our lives to you. And to be able to know that we rest on solid ground. That you will always comfort us and always be with us. I ask that you will work through this message today. That you will put me aside. Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you so that your word will come through, not my own. God, I thank you and I praise you for all things. Amen. So we're going to start in the very first couple of verses in 6 through uh, 8. And it ends in, in 7 and 8, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. And now this is kind of difficult language to kind of wrap our heads around, right? I mean, it, it sounds just kind of weird. And, and it, may be, uh, it may be difficult to understand. And so we're going to take this section piece by piece and kind of break it down so that way we can understand exactly, you know, what John is referencing and what he's talking about and what point is he trying to get across so that we can know exactly what uh, we can take away from this. And so first thing that we want to look at is testimony. I mean, that's what he's talking about here is that there are three that testify. And so testimony is very important, uh, especially at this time in history Eyewitness testimony, be able to have witnesses, was necessary for anyone to bring anything to court. If you wanted to make an accusation against somebody, you had to have three witnesses. If you wanted to do anything legally, you had to have witnesses that could testify on your behalf. And so we see that John knows this, he sees this, he respects this tradition. I mean, this is what he's been, you know, raised in. And so John is saying, hey, I have three witnesses that can testify to everything that I've told you, everything I've said in my life, everything that I've said about Jesus, everything I've said in this, uh, this letter right here, I have witnesses who will testify to the truth of what I say about Jesus Christ. Not only that, he says that they are all in agreement. He says these three agree in verse eight. Now, this is a big deal. So if you know anything about eyewitness testimony, you know that people never agree completely. It's just impossible. I mean, you could have a whole group of people all watching the same event, and they're not going to come out of it with the exact same recollection of what happened. They're going to have different things that they picked up on. They're going to remember different things. Uh, they may have even seen the same thing, and yet in their mind, uh, their own perception of the world has colored it in a way that they, that they don't have the same uh, way of telling the story. And I think the easiest way to kind of think of that is the game of telephone, if you ever played as a kid or anything, where you got a bunch of people that sit in a circle, and the first person has a phrase that they uh, make up, and they whisper it to the person next to them, and then they whisper it to the person next to them, and they keep going all the way around. And so it gets back eventually to the person who first made it up. And so the thing about the game, though, is that the phrase is never the same after it's gone all the way around. It's always changed. 
because there's no way that it can stay the same. It's the same thing for our testimonies. We, we see that it continuously changes. And so even in court, even today, eyewitness testimony won't be the same. So the fact that John is saying that all three of his witnesses, they agree completely. Now that, that's a big deal. It's a dramatic statement, and we can easily gloss over that, but what he's saying is that there is no doubt at all in what he's saying. The truth is there, completely and fully. And so we want to make sure that we look at this from that avenue, from the lens of what John is saying. He's saying that this is not just a strong case for who Jesus is. This is complete truth without a shadow of a doubt of who Jesus is. And so these three witnesses, water, blood, and the Holy Spirit, are going to inform and affirm who Jesus is. That's the whole point of what John is trying to get across. And so we're going to walk through each witness and see how uh, their testimony applies to our confidence in who Jesus is. And so the very first one is water. Now this one can be a little confusing uh, because, you know, water doesn't speak. And so we're thinking, okay, how does this testify? So what John is actually referencing is the baptism of Jesus. And so Jesus' baptism was done by John the Baptist. And we see at the time that John the Baptist was a great prophet in his own right. And a lot of people followed him and actually thought that he might be the Christ, that he might be the Messiah. And so they come to him asking, are you the Christ? And John, he, he knows, John the Baptist knows that he's not the Messiah. He knows that God has sent him for a very specific purpose, and that is to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so he's able to respond well, knowing for a fact that he is not the one that they're looking for, but the one they're looking for is going to come. And so he says in Luke 3, starting in verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John, he answers them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John is confident in who the Messiah is and who the Christ is, and he knows it's not him. And when Jesus comes and asks John the Baptist to baptize him, John actually at first is very hesitant and, and basically says, I can't do that because I'm not worthy of you. And Jesus says, no, you need to do this because I need to be baptized. Because Jesus' baptism actually launches his ministry. Not only that, it announces his presence to the world. We see that the Holy Spirit descends upon him in verse 22 and says in a voice from heaven, God says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And so Jesus is baptized by John because he needs that moment, that moment that is informing the world and informing everyone that's there and everyone's going to hear about it. And even today, all of us who see and read this, it's informing us of who Jesus is 
that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that his ministry has begun and it is continuing on. And so when God even says through the Holy Spirit that you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased, he is affirming what his baptism is telling us, that he is the Christ. And so the very first witness is the baptism of Jesus and an extension, actually the life and the ministry of Jesus. Because we see throughout his ministry that he performs miracles, that he is fulfilling all the prophecy that was ever said about the Christ, about the Messiah. And so we can know for a fact that his life and his ministry is in fact an entire testimony of the identity of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Christ that he's not just man, but he is Jesus Christ. And so that witness, the water, the baptism, the life, the ministry of Jesus is the first witness that John puts forward and says, look at his ministry. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the baptism that happened and what the Holy Spirit, what God tells us at that moment. That's my first witness. Look at it and you can know that it's true. And then we dive into the second witness. The second testimony that John presents to us is blood. And so immediately your mind probably jumps to the crucifixion, which is exactly what it is. Jesus' death is the second witness, the testimony, the death on the cross. It fulfills God's redemptive plan for his people. And it doesn't stop just there. It's the death and then his resurrection And then his ascension into heaven. All these things work together so that Jesus who died on the cross, he then was rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven, meaning he never suffered a second physical death. That he is living still. Because there's a very important part about his death and his resurrection, his ascension, that John wants to address specifically. And this is that there was a heresy called Gnosticism at the time. Gnosticism was basically saying that all physical stuff was evil and only the spiritual was good. And so what they were saying specifically about this was that Jesus was just a man. And the Christ, the Messiah, was God who came upon him during his ministry. And so they would actually look at the first testimony and say, yeah, we agree with the baptism and and the life of Jesus that affirms that he was the Christ. But the death of Christ, they would say that actually wasn't, that wasn't God. It was just a man who died. But see, that doesn't work. Jesus had to be God because his blood had to be perfect and holy to be shed so he could pay the price for our sins. Without that, it means nothing. In Philippians 2, 8 through 11, it says, and being found in human form, He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, And then his resurrection and his ascension that exalts him, that glorifies him. It's not a moment of embarrassment. It's not a moment of shame or a moment of failure. It is a moment of victory. 
is a time when God is completely glorified through his son dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we may have eternal life with him. That's awesome. And that is exactly what John is saying fulfills a a full testimony and a witness of who Jesus is. Because without it, without that death, and without Jesus being fully God when he died, then none of this means anything. There is nothing to stand on. John says this is important. It is vital to Christianity. It is vital to our relationship with God because Jesus had to be the Christ, not only while he lived, but when he died and when he raised from the dead and when he ascended into heaven, never succumbing to death. That is the second witness. Jesus' death His resurrection is ascension so that we may live. And I know a lot of you may be thinking about Gnosticism and that, man, that's not around today. And you're right. It's really not a heresy that's around today. And so John is specifically arguing against this in this passage. And yet the idea behind this heresy still does exist today. And you may actually find that you sometimes fall into that category and so what, what's kind of a modern take on what Gnosticism was really wrong about? Well, Gnosticism, they're at the root, they denied who Jesus was. And today, we often still deny who Jesus is. We may tell ourselves lies like, you know, that grace stuff, it's pretty awesome. And um, I definitely believe it. And man, I, I really believe God works in, in people. But man, that's just not, it's not for me. Grace, grace doesn't apply to me. Or at least I don't feel like it does. Or maybe you say, I've sinned too much. I've sinned too much to be able to have a taste of what that's like. God doesn't want any part of that. Are you maybe you're stuck in a sin and you're just like, I can't overcome this one thing. And so all I do is keep disappointing Jesus. And so he doesn't, he doesn't care about me. Or maybe he's just mad at me all the time. Or maybe you think that Jesus doesn't really want you. That he doesn't care. Maybe even that he's cruel. A lot of people have told me before that they think God is just cruel. And even right now in the midst of COVID-19, we see a lot of people suffering, a lot of people dying from, from the virus, but also just from all the economic strife that's happening. A lot of people are suffering right now. And you may look at that and think, Jesus doesn't care, doesn't care about all of this, doesn't care about me. All those things are just the same lie coming out in different ways. And it's denying who Jesus is. And so don't think that just because John is referencing an ancient heresy that may not really exist anymore, that these things don't apply to us. Because whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, these same things pop up where it is easy for us to begin to deny who Jesus is. Our third testimony, our third witness is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is testifying to the deity of Christ, of Jesus. 
It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one who has the Holy Spirit can curse God. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See, it's only through the Holy Spirit that we're able to even recognize who Jesus is. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. And so God must be the one that testifies to our hearts, even today, right now, so that we may know who Jesus is, that he is the Christ. What happens is scales fall from our eyes. We, we were blind, but now we can see and see the truth of who Jesus is and the relationship that is offered to us through that. You see, what we see in scripture is that God recognizes how we are separated from him because of our sin. He knows this as a fact. And so, because he's completely holy, he's completely perfect and can't have sin in his presence. And so he sends his son to die on the cross and through his perfect death and resurrection and then ascension into heaven, our sins are paid for. They're gone. That's the testimony that he's giving us. And so the Holy Spirit comes into us. And when we submit our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit actually enters into us and indwells within us so that we may be aware of what God is doing in the world. We may know who he is fully and completely, but only through the Holy Spirit. And so we see that all these things are working together. The life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the witness of the Holy Spirit all inform and affirm who Jesus is so that we can know for sure. And when we know for sure who Jesus is and his character and that he was the Christ, that he was God, that he was everything intended to bring redemption to his people, the result of knowing who Jesus is, is faith. When you experience the truth of Jesus, then you can't help but experience faith at the same time. And now you may be also thinking of your own experiences, or you may be thinking of other people, and their experience has been, yes, I kind of get that, and yet, at the same time, I'm, I'm really struggling with it. Or maybe you grew up in the church and you're like, okay, I know all this stuff. And you know what? I, I would even say, yeah, I believe that's true. And yet, man, I, I just, I don't want to live that kind of life. Or I don't want to, you know, really commit to anything like that. Um, I think we've all met people that are struggling with that. And honestly, it could be you that's struggling with that today. And so John actually sees this and he's going to give us answers to these questions in the next three verses. And so starting verse nine, he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. John is so focused on testimony and eyewitness accounts because John does not believe in blind faith. If you went up to him and and just even brought up that phrase, blind faith, 
John would be confused. He'd be like, that's not a thing. You can't have blind faith. It doesn't even make sense. And it really doesn't. When you have faith, it must be grounded in truth. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It must be verified. And so John is saying that what's more reliable than the testimony of God himself? Because, I mean, we believe the testimony of men all the time. I mean, this is the point that John is bringing up in in verse 9. We believe people. I mean, somebody can come up to you and you can be like, hey, uh, I need directions to this restaurant. And they'll be like, hey, go down the street, go there. And you'll be like, oh, thanks, you know, and you'll believe them and you'll go. Or somebody can text you and say, hey, 83 is closed right now. You need to, you know, make sure you do a detour. Okay, I, be- I believe that, you know, you make a detour. We believe men all the time. And yet, how often do we not believe the testimony of God? I mean, God should be more reliable, right? And that's John's point. He says, if you believe men, you, you better believe God. Because God is completely perfect. He's holy. He is, he is all good, which means he cannot lie. His character actually doesn't allow God to lie. And so he's a little bit more trustworthy than any of us because we all can and often do lie. But that's just not how it goes down a lot of the time, is it? So how do we respond to God's testimony? How do we respond to these three witnesses, the life, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, and then the the witness of the Holy Spirit throughout history and in our lives today? How do we take those three testimonies, which are all at the hand of God, because Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God? This is all God testifying to us. How do we respond to God's testimony? How do we respond to who Jesus is? Now we respond in two ways. One, we respond in belief. This is when the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes. He has allowed us to realize the truth of scripture. That we're able to see everything in this book is truth. And at that moment, we're able to commit our lives to him. We're able to submit everything to God and say, I want a relationship with you. And we enter into this relationship with Jesus and it's complete surrender. It's complete confidence, security, peace. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. That relationship with Jesus. And it's amazing. And that's what happens when you believe. Now, at this time, I want to talk a little bit about doubt. Because doubt is something that's a reality. We all have doubt. And so I, I'm going to put doubt here under belief because doubt does not mean that you do not believe. I'm going to explain that a little bit. All right, I'm going to use an example from my own life. So I've been married to my wife, Nicole, for seven years now. And I know... For sure, I know that she loves me. Like, she's an amazing wife, and she's great. And I know that she loves me. But often, I will have days or times or moments when in my own insecurity, uh, I really doubt that she actually does love me. 
you know, all of those moments where I'm just kind of like, um, man, yesterday I really dropped the ball and I did not do what I was supposed to, you know, she wanted me to go pick up, you know, these groceries or something. I didn't do that. I didn't clean, you know, this certain thing or man, I really got in an argument with her yesterday and I, you know, kind of lashed out at her and I shouldn't have, or, oh man, I got an argument and I was definitely wrong, but I don't want to say sorry. You know, like there's these times where things just happen and all my insecurities, they start bubbling up. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, why would she even want me? She doesn't love me. She's going to leave me. It, it just, it's all these things that just kind of start going through my head. And I know, I know for sure that she loves me and she's not going to leave me. She's, she's always going to be there for me. And yet, I still have moments of doubt. And they're grounded in insecurity. They're not grounded in disbelief. They're grounded in insecurity. And so I, I would put before you that moments of doubt are okay in your relationship with God. I mean, I, I have them as well. There's moments where I'm just struggling with, with all of it. And I'm just like, God, is this even it? Is this even real? Are you even real? These moments of doubt don't mean that I don't believe in him. Because I do, and I have a relationship with God that is the best thing in my life. But our insecurities will speak lies to us over and over so that doubt creeps in. I think what we need to take from doubt is that we should always point ourselves back to Jesus in those moments. And so don't allow doubt to be something that gives you hesitancy or or speaks even deeper into a lie that you don't know who Jesus is. Because just because you have doubts on occasion doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with him. And so if you are finding yourself in that case where where you're like, man, I, th- I think I am a believer, but I do have these doubts. Or, or maybe you're in a season right now where it's just heavy on your heart. Man, go back to him. Just go to Jesus. Go to God and say, God, I need you, and I need you to help me to be able to have solid faith in you. I need you to take these doubts away so that I may focus on you for your glory, not for ours. Go to God if you find yourself in those moments of doubt. But also don't think that you're not a Christian just because you do have doubts. Because that relationship with Jesus is primary. And it should be the focus. And it's wonderful. And so just go right back to it. The second way that we respond to who Jesus is, is straight up unbelief. And so, I mean, you either believe or you don't. There's nothing in between. John says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. I mean, it it sounds kind of harsh, but it's true. And most people don't intend to call God a liar, uh, but they are. I mean, the, God is completely true. He has no falsehood in him. And so the denial of Jesus or the denial of who he is is a direct attack on the character of God saying that he is not telling the truth. And so when we look at scripture, the word of God, and we say something in here is not true, it is calling God a liar. It is a direct attack on God. 
And now there's some people who straight up will say, yeah, I don't believe, you know, maybe they're an atheist or another religion. And, and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. And, uh, and I don't really care, you know, that I'm calling God a liar. You know, that may be their reaction, but there's a lot of times too, where people are trying to get by in some kind of gray area, thinking that if, if I stay, you know, on that line, I'm going to be okay. And, you know, you might find yourself in that same spot where you're trying to walk this gray area and say, you know, I may not be fully committed to the church and to everything that scripture teaches, but uh, I think I'm okay because, you know, I, I do kind of believe in God. And I, and I see three things that, that people often say, and I want to address them specifically. One, a lot of people will say, I want to believe, but I can't believe. That just really means that you, you won't believe. It's not a can't thing. It, it, you're choosing not to. And so you need to get away from that and actually come to terms with, are you really just not choosing to believe? Because there is no this I can't. It, it's a you are or you are not. You need to pick a side. The next thing is uh, I'm trying to believe. And now that's really insulting to God if you think about it. I'm, I'm trying to believe in Jesus. I, I read the Bible and I, I'm trying to believe in it. Believe what it says. And if a dude comes up to me and he's like, hey, uh, Nathaniel, where are you from? And I say, well, I'm from Indiana. He says, oh, okay, cool. He walks away. Two years later, he comes up to me and he's like, you know, a couple years ago, you told me you're from Indiana. And, uh, and you know, I've been really trying to believe that. But, man, I, I just can't. I, I just don't think that's true. I really don't think that's true. How do you think, uh, one, that would make me feel, how do you think I'm going to respond to that? Like, he's basically saying that I am so untrustworthy that he can't believe the simple statement of where I come from. When Jesus is telling, uh, or when God is telling us who Jesus is, I mean, that's really basic because God and Jesus are the same. And so he's just saying who he is. And yet we say, man, I'm trying to believe that, but man, I'm really struggling with that. That's a slap in the face. You're saying that God is so untrustworthy. You can't believe that. Next, I hear this one more than anything. I believe, but I'm just not ready yet. I'm just not ready to commit to that kind of lifestyle or I don't want to give up my lifestyle. And, and so, yeah, I believe, you know, that Jesus is God. Matter of fact, I've, I've heard this often for a lot of people who grow up, grow up in the church or in Catholicism and, and they're like, yeah, I definitely believe that's true. And, you know, my parents really maybe follow that completely, but you know, for me, maybe when I'm older or, you know, maybe when I got things together in my life, I'll kind of go in more or, I mean, one I hear too is, you know, when I have kids, I want them to grow up in the church. And so I'll, I'll start going to church then, or, you know, maybe, maybe then I'll start, you know, taking it more seriously. They're claiming belief when there's no change in their life. And really basically what that's saying is that your sin is a greater testimony than God's own. 
That's all that that means. As John has already pointed out, the result of knowing who Jesus is, is faith. That's going to happen. And so if that's you or you're saying, man, I do believe, but I'm just not ready to commit to all that yet. The truth is you don't believe. You do not believe Jesus is who he says he is. Because if you did, then it would change everything. And you would have faith resulting in your life. And so, man, get out of here with that. Don't say that you believe when in reality you don't. So what is your response to who Jesus is? Is it one of these things? Is it something else? Is there another lie you've been telling yourself to get by in the gray area? Do you believe or do you not believe? There's no in-between. No excuses, no waffling, no back and forth. Now, my earnest desire and my prayer is that you do believe. Because belief means we have life. John says this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And that life is in his son. And Jesus says that whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. Man, I pray that you believe. I pray that you know God and that you know Jesus, know who he is and you have a relationship with him and that you have committed yourself to him fully because it's through that belief that you have life, eternal life, a life that doesn't end with death. And Jesus showed us already that death is not the end because he died, but then he resurrected and he ascended into heaven so that we may know for a fact that there's more for us if we believe in him. So I pray that you do. And John, he has the same desire. He ends this passage in verse 13 with, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so I'll end with this. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, be encouraged. I mean, that should really be what today's message is all about for you because you're going to walk through this and you're like, yes, I'm looking at those three testimonies, those three witnesses, the life, the ministry of Jesus, this baptism, and then the death of Jesus and his resurrection is an ascension. And then you're looking at, man, yes, I, I know the Holy Spirit is in me and he is indwelling within me and he is able to allow me to see what God is doing in the world and in my own life and the transformation that happens through relationship with God. You see those things and you think, yes, that is amazing. It's the best thing in my life and I am so grateful for it. And maybe you've lost sight of that, but I hope today has been an encouragement to you where you see these things and you know for sure that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, he's the son of God, and that he has died for your sins so that you may have eternal life. That is encouraging. And so be encouraged. The faith that you have is a result of your relationship with God. And so if you ever doubt that relationship, there's the evidence of it. Now to those who don't believe, maybe you know for a fact you never have. Maybe you're someone that you listen to some of today and you're thinking now, 
you know what? I've been making excuses. I've lived in that gray area and I've never actually, uh, I've never actually believed. And I know now that I do just, uh, have unbelief to you guys. Today can be the day that you do believe. See God, he's, he yearns for relationship. He created all things and creation is good. He loves creation. He loves you. He loves all mankind. He wants a relationship with you. So recognize your unbelief. Recognize your sin that is keeping you away from God. Turn away from it. Say, I'm going to put that aside so that I can chase after God as he is already chasing after me. Ask God to transform you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come within you and open your eyes so you may see the word of God is true. You may see a relationship with him that is tangible. And it's going to happen. God will have a relationship with you and you'll be able to know exactly who Jesus is. And you'll be given a new heart, a new life. Don't let another day go without this amazing grace. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for all of you. So let's end today in prayer together. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've done. I thank you so much for your testimony where you say for a fact, I am who I am. And that is an amazing message for us so that we may rest in it. God, you, you came to earth as a man and you died for our sins. Man, when we didn't deserve it. I am so grateful and I pray that my brothers and sisters are encouraged with that reminder of who you are and what you have done for us and the grace that is poured upon us daily. And for anyone who's looking at this and saying, I I want some of that. I just don't know how. Holy Spirit, please just speak to them in this moment. Give them the guidance to be able to submit their lives to you and say, I want relationship and I'm going to have it. And you enter in and you create a new heart and a new life and you transform. That's what you do. God, I am so grateful for that. Lord, I pray for all of us as we go throughout the rest of our week this week, as we, as we continue to work with uh, dealing with the, with the pandemic and, and everything else going on. And I ask that you will just continue to bless your people and help us to be able to be guided through this. And as the uncertainty is still swirling around us and we're just in chaos, and as we have all these uh, reactions around us from our own and other people, I ask that you help us to be able to stay grounded on the constant grace that you give that we can know who you are and rest in that. Lord, I praise you and I lift you up and I glorify you above all things. Amen.